Words have the power of life. Words have the power of death. Words can poison. Words can breed new life. Words carry power. They have the ability to change the mind of a judge. They can rescue hostages. They can lift a downcast, suicidal person standing on a bridge. They can win on jeopardy. They can restore a marriage. Words can cause you to cry. Words can cause you to laugh. Words can fire up a team in a locker room pregame. Words can become poster boards for locker rooms. Words heal open wounds in relationships. Words can stop a person in their tracks. Words can build confidence in a young boy looking for security. Words can express frustration. They can emote joy. They can cause an abrupt end to a cell phone conversation. They could frustrate someone from ever trying again. They can motivate a nation in the midst of adversity. They can unleash the heart of our God. They can close the door forever in a business deal. They can stop Satan in his tracks. And they could change your life. Our legacy are shaped by our words. Your legacy, my legacy, is shaped by how we communicate and how we talk and and what we say. And what we say when we're not there about someone else. And they shape who you are. They'll shape who you become. And much of our legacy, whether we want to agree with it or not or, or admit it or not, has already been shaped by the words left behind us. And our landscape is littered with success stories of words. And our landscape is littered with destruction stories because of our words. It has peppered our lives from the day we've been born, from the moment we said mama and dada. Our words are living testimonies to who we've been, to who we'll be. Words make a profound difference in your legacy. Words come at opportune times and they breathe life. Words can come at a graduation ceremony in a moment when someone needs a little boost, a word from a parent, a word from a teacher, a word from a colleague can lift someone up to make them believe they can do anything. 20 years ago, I found myself in a graduation ceremony at the Billy Sunday Tabernacle in Winona Lake, Indiana. At one time, Winona Lake was the mooring point for Bible conferences. And there was this gigantic auditorium called the Billy Sunday Tabernacle. As a college student, I worked on grounds and mowed grass and uh, plowed snow and and spent my time on bulldozers and dump trucks and backloaders and frontloaders and lawnmowers. And I found myself uh, in this auditorium because I was designated the person who once a year, and happened to be my year, would go into the Billy Sunday Tabernacle because it was only used once a year and clean it up for graduation. So we opened the doors to this gargantuous building, one acre of shingles on it, 
walked in and there's mushrooms as big as beach balls and there's plants growing in the, the, the dirt in the ground. And we went in and cleaned the place up and wiped off the seats because the next day there would be this graduation ceremony. It happened to be the last graduating class of Grace College and Grace Theological Seminary. And so people gathered in that Saturday morning and I found a seat in the midst of all these families and all these individuals who were coming to celebrate the graduation. All of us have been to graduations. Some of us have graduated. Some of us have have had the opportunity to speak at graduations. So a very typical graduation service. But at this this ceremony were some graduates who who were uh, master's level. And some of them were seminary students who had spent and worked hard to get a degree. And a lot of them were married. And so their wives and children were there. And prior to the graduates being announced, the president of the college came up, as any high school principal does, at the beginning of the ceremonies and says something like this. For those of you who want to applaud your individual son, your individual daughter, I encourage you to wait to the end and everyone can applaud once everyone is through. Now, every part of me, when I hear that, just says, I'm not going to do that. And every part of you, if you're proud of your son or you're proud of your daughter, you're proud of your husband, you're proud of your wife, every part of you wants to race against that. And then prior to going to these graduation ceremonies, if you've had a child graduate, you probably had to talk by your son or daughter. Don't you say anything. I had that talk. And so anyhow... We were gathered at this ceremony, and the graduates began rolling across, and no one clapped, and they were excited to see him go, and there'd be a smile, or there'd be uh, an expression of joy on someone's face, and then, and then it happened. Someone broke the rules. This guy came walking across who happened to be a, a graduate of Grace Theological Seminary, who had a full-time job, and his wife was seated in the auditorium. And they had three or four kids, and, and he had worked hard, and she had labored hard, and it had been a hard uh, three years of a 92-degree uh, uh, master's degree. And they announced his name, and he walked across the, the stage, and he went to receive his diploma, and out of nowhere stood this five-foot-one lady. She hops up on top of her chair in the back of this auditorium, and at the top of her lungs yells, That's my baby! <laughs> you heard her completely across, and, 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 and be truth be known, this response was exactly what you did. And she just remained there, and she yelled that, That's my baby! As proud as she could be, she shouted at the top of the lungs and she broke the rules. And the response of this seminary graduate, this father, this husband was priceless. As he received his diploma, he went back and went. (laughs) (laughs) In that moment of time, 20 years passing, I haven't forgotten it. Nor has that individual, I'm sure. And I'm sure there's moments around the table when he tells the story. Let me tell you the time about my wife when she poured into me and she said a few words, that's my baby. Words come from within our hearts. I want you to grab your Bibles today. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 33. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. We'll be glad to put one in your hand. And I'm going to show you today that words shape our legacy, have shaped your legacy, and will shape your future legacy. Words come from our hearts. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 12 and verse 33. Matthew chapter 12, and if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. We'll be glad to put one in your hand. 
Matthew chapter 12 and verse 33, Jesus is having a conversation with the religious people of the day, the Pharisees. Jesus often had conversations with the Pharisees, and he often just called them to the turf because these were a group of people not any different than the religious people of today who are always trying to tell you how you've done things wrong and that they do it right and they do it better and their way is more important. And so Jesus was speaking to this group of Pharisees who inwardly were just corrupt in their hearts. And yet outwardly, they were checking off the list. This was the correct way. I did this and I did this and anybody does this is incorrect. And they let people know all the time that they were alive. And Jesus constantly got in the face of religious people of the day. And he says this and he has this conversation with these religious people who were trying to call him out. And so he responds by saying this. Stand with me and we'll read it. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 through 37. Look what Jesus says to these religious people of the day who were always right. Verse 33 through 37, let's read it. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. You may have a seat. Jesus is pretty strong in his language to the Pharisees here. He looks at him, he says this, every careless word that you've ever spoken, every careless word that's ever come out of your mouth and from your lips, you will be held in account for every careless word. And then he tells him this, he says, by your fruit, by your fruit, you will be known and by your fruit reveals your heart condition. In other words, if evil comes from your lips, then your heart is evil. If good comes from your lips, then your heart is good. And he tells them that from their heart, there is this reservoir that stores up thoughts, ambitions, desires, loyalties. And from your heart, these thoughts and desires, that's where words come from. So when you say something and I say something, and when the Pharisees said something, Jesus said, you can't blame anyone but yourself. So every word that comes from our mouths comes from this reservoir inside of us, this part of our being that, that stores up thoughts, ambitions, desires, concepts, theories, Beliefs. And from our heart, the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks. So every word you speak matches lead perfectly, perfectly with the DNA of your heart. And this reservoir contains everything that you've placed into it. That's why it's a dangerous thing to get put out for surgery. Have you ever been put out for surgery and put under and you go in for surgery and, and you know that you're going to get the gas mask and you're going to be out for a while? That's why it's a dangerous thing. Have you ever been by the bedside when a friend or a loved one or a relative has come out from being under? Have you ever heard the words they say and the phrases and then you tell them what they said and they don't remember any of it? 
Have you ever been there when someone has said something embarrassing about the nurse that was there helping them prior to surgery and they didn't realize that they said that? Or they say these things that literally before surgery, there's a filter that says, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. But when they're under and they come out, filter gone, say it, say it, say it. Have you ever seen someone speak? It's dangerous when you walk into surgery and know, I'm going to come out and they're going to put me under. And when I come to, oh, please, God, help me not to say maybe some thoughts that I thought 30 years ago. And it seems like those are the thoughts that come in. I've often told people this before you go into surgery and if they take you under and you know you're going out, here's a good thing to do before you go in. Read the Bible, 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 Bible. And then say Jesus 400 times. <laughs> Jesus, 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 Jesus. So that when you come out, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And your wife will be proud of you. <laughs> but something within us has, has, has been able to capture the thoughts, the ambitions, the desires, everything we've taken. And there's this reservoir inside of us. And they establish who we are. And Jesus is looking at the Pharisees and says, guess what? Your fruit tells me what the condition of your heart is. Our words establish the real person we are. And that's pretty humbling to me as I age and want to leave a legacy. And you want to leave a legacy that influences people and points them to Jesus Christ. I want my words to cause my children and my wife to want to love Jesus more. I long to inject hope and and faith and and grace into my kids. I I do not want to be remembered as a father and a husband and a pastor and a friend who was harsh and condescending and just a fault finder and who was arrogant and knew he was right and was quick to point out something wrong that someone else did and couldn't hardly wait to, to plaster someone out, something out on Facebook or on a blog that, that pointed a fault out in someone else. I long for my words to be seasoned with grace and make people believe that they can come back from any setback in their lives. I know that you want to be remembered with words that breathe encouragement, not condemnation, You see, for me personally, after sitting with hundreds and hundreds of people in counseling sessions and sitting with men over and over and over and over again, I know the collateral damage that happens from super righteous people. I know the collateral damage that's happened from a father that was always right. I know the collateral damage that has happened from a mother who never, ever pointed out something good that their daughter or son did. I recognize the collateral damage, and in a moment of time, it doesn't take me very long, I can see a broken, fractured person has been damaged by words of someone that was close to them in their past. And that's why the psalmist says in Psalm 19, 14, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Can we establish this, that the language of our lips, the things that you and I say come from the currents of our hearts. It's this this river that flows from our hearts. And so the words that you say come from the things that you've put into your heart. In fact, turn to Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21. Please turn there. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21. Let's establish this truth today regarding words. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21. 
The Bible is full, and specifically Proverbs is full of, of verses challenging us to consider the things we say and showing us that our words have, have impact on people's lives. And then, and then in Proverbs 18 and verse 21, it says this. Look what it says. The tongue has a power of what? What does it say? Life and what? Death. The tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Think about that for a second. Words kill, words give life, and they're either poison or fruit. You decide. Words kill, words give life, they're either poison or fruit. You decide. There's no in-between. You can't be someone who partially gives life to someone. You can't be someone who partially poisons. Poison is poison. And so our words do one of two things. And you have a decision and I have a decision regarding legacy. What are the words that we'll speak? It's pretty, pretty easy to see what kind of person you are. For instance, either you are a person who walks into someone's life and you water them, you season them, you want them to grow. And so you fertilize them. And so when you walk onto the scene, you give them life. You are a person who breathes life from your heart and you breathe life on that person. Or you are, as, as the, the Solomon says in Proverbs, you are a person who kills. You are a person who walks into a situation and literally dries it up, brings poison and death. So you're one of two things, and I am too. We're either life or we're death. And as you look back over your life, which one have you been? Which one do you want to be? All you have to do is look at the relationships around you. How many of your relationships are littered with destruction? How many of the people in your pathway, if you look back and you see all these ashes and these burning embers because of something that you said, something that you spoke, and yet the word of God encourages us to love one another, to lift up one another, to encourage one another, to bear one another's burdens. And there's this list of one another's the whole way through the New Testament. And that's the picture of the legacy that we're supposedly, yet if, we, if truth be known, you look back, all it takes is one phrase, you suck. And it can destroy someone. It can destroy someone who's climbing this thing called life and trying to have a, a perspective of themselves that's different than what you are giving them. And Jesus was very strong in his language to the Pharisees who were always quick to speak about the faults of others. He even calls them a brood of vipers. Then he goes on to tell them that these men will give account to every careless word that this has ever been spoken. Let's just say this. Jesus didn't have a whole bunch of grace and patience for people who spoke carelessly about others. To your right and underneath your chair, if someone's on the end, are some three-by-five cards. Just look down to your right or left on the ends. If you're the person, would you reach down under your chair and pass those cards across? Everybody in the, each row should get a three-by-five card. Would you take one of those three-by-five cards? And if you don't have one, just write it on your bulletin. Should be a three by five card near you. Pass it down, and if you, you're the person on the end, put the rest of them on the floor beside you. And throughout this message, I'm going to ask you to write down some questions. I'm going to ask you to, to write on this three by five card these questions that are used for you to be introspective, to, for you to see how am I doing with my words. Jesus didn't have much room for people who were careless with their words. 
And so the first question I want you to write on this three by five card, and I want you to keep this in your Bible or put it on your refrigerator or put it on your mirror or a place that you see every day. I want you to write this question down. What area of my conversation do I need to fix now? What is the area of my regular conversation that I need to fix now? Write that down. What area of my conversation do I need to fix now? Or I'm going to be the person who who breathes destruction and kills people. What area of my conversation do I need to fix now? Stop and consider Jesus having this conversation with the Pharisees here. He was telling them, listen, you, the words that you speak about everybody else are dangerous. And not only dangerous, but you've got to take it into consideration, the careless words that are in your life, because you are causing damage. And the words you speak come from the heart that you have. Let's face it, some of us probably need some radical renovation of our hearts in order for us to leave a legacy that really does breathe life upon people. And some of us don't even realize it. Have you ever been with someone who, who's been doing, who has, been, who has the, the gift of sarcasm, the gift of negativism, and the, the gift of fault finding, and they don't even recognize it? Have you ever sat with someone and they've been doing it for so long that when they speak, you know, that somehow before this conversation is over, they're going to point out something critical about you or critical about someone around them, and they get so involved in the midst of it, and they continue to do it and do it and do it that they don't even realize that they're doing it. They just become like, this is my lifestyle. And right now, you could probably think of people right now who are quick. You can read their Facebook uh, posts, statuses. You can remember conversations at family reunions. You can remember conversations in the hallways. You can remember conversations on the telephone. You can remember talking to them at ball games, and everything that they say is always being critical, always speaking death, and yet they don't even know it. It just becomes a pattern of their life, and they need a radical renovation of their heart in order for something fresh and something lifelike to come out of them. Just recently, I was watching on the Learning Channel. Uh, I'm intrigued by people who hoard, and I'm intrigued by how they get breakthrough from that. Because I want to be a person who is able to sit with someone and help them walk through the difficulties that have been placed upon them because of the choices they've made. And just recently, I was watching this individual who reminds me of what I'm talking about right now. This individual loved pet rats. Maybe you've seen the highlights of this. And this individual started out with two pet rats. And, and he really loved these pet rats. And the reason he loved these pet rats was because they brought him comfort from grief of his wife dying suddenly when she was 39. And so instead of dealing with the grief in his life and grieving like God has in, or encouraged us to do, he, he blocked, him, blocked it out, he pushed it down, and he began to love on these rats. And so anytime he was with these rats, it allowed him to think of good thoughts and it, allowed, it brought him comfort. And yet it would push down these, this grief that he was feeling. And before he knew it, these two rats grew to four, four grew to eight, eight to 10, 10 to 100. 100 to 2,000, and before you know, he had 3,000 rats in the home that he lived in that each day he would walk out, he would throw feed, he would throw water, and they ran through his walls, they slept in his cupboards, they were inside of his mattress, they were in his bed, they were in every chair in his house, they ran across the top of the cupboards, they were in a sink everywhere, and they dug holes in the walls, and they lived up in the walls, and they showed the porch of this man sitting amidst all this carnage, feeding rats, and I want to say, doesn't he realize that something is wrong? doesn't he realize that this isn't the condition that God intended him to live in and to live with? And so they showed these 
psychologists walk into his life who are, have a, a, are specialists in the area of hoarding and grieving. And, and one by one, they were able to talk to him before and were able to clean it out. And in order to get rid of all these rats, and they put him in plastic boxes, over 3,500 rats. And after they cleaned his whole house out, they dug the walls open and they, they ripped down the drywall and they gathered these rats and they thought they got them all. And the story wanted to say that he had to collect 350 more even after they left. But it was total renovation. And there he sat and he didn't even recognize and everyone else could come around and say, wow, man, don't you see something's wrong? Don't you see this isn't right? Don't you see? But he had spent the majority of his life living in that condition and to him it was normal. And some of you spend the majority of your life and, you don't, and, and out of, your, out of the, the, the recesses of your heart comes this, this, these words that, that kill people and destroy people and you've been doing it for 10, 20, 30, 40 years and you say, I can't change, it's just me. And some of you are so good at it, you don't even recognize you're doing it, but everyone else sees it. And so when that's the case, what do we need to do? We need a total renovation of the heart and the Pharisees were classic in doing this. They were so good at checking off what they were good at and they had their theology down and, and they, were, they were tight with it and they knew that they were right, yet they couldn't see the blaring two by four in their life and everyone else could see it. No one would want to get near them because they were mowing everybody over and they needed a total renovation of their heart and they didn't even know it. Words can be lethal. Words have the power of life. They have the power of death. Trust, character, Influence and integrity are built over many years of faithfulness and can be lost in a minute with a few words. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. Someone who has been faithful, someone who, who has been trustworthy, someone who has influenced others for Jesus Christ, someone who has great character, and I've seen them destroyed with three and four sentences of words. And it takes forever to build that back. I see it happen way too often. So if we want to leave a legacy that lives on for generations and three and four and five generations that allows people beyond a grave to live and to grow, we must speak words of life. If we want generations not to be inhibited from whom Christ wants them to be, then we must get rid of the fires and the words that cause death. Words can be lethal. Ask yourself this question. Where have I been lethal in a relationship because of my words? Where have I been lethal in a relationship because of my words? Write that down. Where have I been lethal in a relationship because of my words? In other words, ask God to bring that person to mind where you breathe destruction on their life in that relationship. It doesn't take long for the spirit to say, oh, right there. Oh, right there. Oh, right there. And unless you're open to letting the Spirit speak to you, you might be like that guy who who had pet rats and didn't even recognize it. But if you're open to being all that Christ wants you to be and you walk away and repent and say, God, show me, he'll show you. You might need to go back and say, I am sorry. Begin with you. What lies do you believe about yourself? How about your families? Where have you poisoned a relationship because you knew you were right? And that's just the way it is because that's the way we've always done it. And my father spoke that way and his father spoke that way and my mom was that way. We're just straightforward people and we tell you like it is. And if we think you suck, you suck. I mean, it's like that's our gift and we're supposed to just go out and speak that. Like somehow that's going to say someone, oh, I want to be a better person. When someone tells you that, do you want to be a better person? 
boy, I want to improve now since I suck. I mean, just this pattern that continues to pass down generation after generation after generation. Words can be lethal. Listen to James. You don't have to turn there. Write down the passage. James chapter 3 and verses 5 and 6 says this. It says, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. In other words, one little word, a couple consonants, and a few vowels strung together can reap a fire and destroy a person and a family and a legacy for a very long time. It's time we set aside our need to be right and just love one another. It's time that you and I become givers of life, where we water, where we season with grace, and where people grow because of time spent with us, because we spent time with Jesus. And there's this, there's this attraction to our lives and to people around us because we point them to Jesus. Many of you remember this quote as a kid, and some of you probably spoken it to your kids, and I heard it over and over as a kid. Sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt me or harm me. By the way, it's a lie. Words hurt. Words harm. Words can be death and words can be life. I wish you could see the slumped shoulders of people who walk into my office because some dad said, you'll never amount to anything. Or the brokenness a person feels because their spouse doesn't believe in them and berates them with their verbal attacks. I wish you could see the girl who continues to, to, to feel insecure and goes on to, to live a life of prostitution because along the way, someone, the, the man figure in her life, the husband or, or, the, or the father in her life never said, I love you, I believe in you, you're worth it. And the words soon people that walk into my office in your life, and maybe it's someone or maybe it's you, that have come from people that were close and near and dear and who were supposed to love you. I wish you could see the scars of teenagers because some teen at the lunch table at school began to gossip about them. I wish you could see the damage that a sentence or two or three sentences can cause with your mouth. I wish you could see the times that gossip surfaces and the way we preface it by saying, oh, have you heard? Have you heard about, have you heard about Timothy? Have you, have you heard about Billy? Have you heard? And I'm just telling you this because I'm really concerned about them. Have you ever been in a conversation someone says, hey, I, I have to tell you this because I really care about this person. And then they go on to tell you, and they, 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 they blow up this story of how, how they've done this horrible thing. And, and, and they, they, they tell you every jot and tittle. And they say, you know, we ought to pray for that person. Have you ever been in a conversation when you know way at the beginning, this person is going to begin gossip about another person? And they preface it by saying, oh, I didn't know whether you realized it or not, but I, I, this person's really struggling. Have you heard Your legacy is shaped by your words, whether you realize it or not. There are people I would never tell anything. 
I wouldn't tell them anything because I know the moment that I tell them, they're on the phone, they're on Facebook, they're somewhere else, and they've told everybody. So gossip is one of the sins that never gets addressed in the local church. We can also see these other sins. And in our minds as Christians, we can see this sin because this happened. And, and we can see this sin. And it's like, we say, oh, look at that person. When meanwhile, all across the world and even in Christian circles, gossip is so rampant. And the damage that's done there is way more than some of the visible sins that we see. So what is gossip? Gossip is talking disparagingly about someone while that person is not present. It is when that person becomes the talk of your lunch table, your dinner time, your family time, and they aren't sitting at the dinner table and family time with you. It's when you bring up someone else and you begin talking about them and you say, hey, have you heard about? The next time someone says, have you heard about? Ask them this question. Say, stop. Have you asked them for permission to talk about them when they're not with me? I've actually done that. Someone began to say something. Hey, have you heard? And I said, wait, wait a minute. Is this a good report or is this a bad report? If it's a bad report, I don't want to hear it. If it's a good report and you want to lift someone up, let's hear it. And yet you know who they are. You've been in conversation and you felt the awkwardness of someone who begins to talk about someone. I don't even go there. I just say, stop. I Holy Spirit knows what's going on. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit intercedes. And if that person feels a need that you need to be talking about them, I bet they would have told you to talk to me. Yeah, we like to do that because when we tell the stories about other people, how they failed, and, oh, can you believe she is? Can you believe that he is? And, and we feel good about it somehow because we find their faults. It makes us feel better about the sins that we're living with. Let, let me just preface by saying it. I know personally when I went into ministry, it was part of just the, the calling on my life. I knew that I would get pop shots at me. It's okay. Because here's why it's okay. Because I just say, God, just zap them. <laughs> so the next time you speak, I prayed for you. Because truth be known, vengeance is mine, say it, the Lord is not mine. God will deal with it. So here, here's your way to cover those things. If you're somebody in your life, Literally, there's someone in your life that you know is speaking disparagingly about them. Just give it to God. Make it a simple prayer. God, take care of them. But I know that even going into ministry, that you would become this conversation. So I ask you, are you a person who is constantly pointing out the faults and telling all the dirty details about someone that sometimes it's like fourth and fifth and sixth hand information? And you're all right with that? The Bible says, from the heart, our mouth speaks. And let me tell you what kind of heart that is. That's not a heart that's tuned into Jesus Christ. There are many forms, by the way, that gossip occurs. And for some reason, people love to use Facebook for that form. And they can hide behind their computer screen and they can say, oh, and they just love it. It's in. And then they back away and they feel good about it. And it's like, and then 50 or 60 or 100 friends or 200 or 600 friends, they've all seen it and they just throw it out there and they've done their job and they don't even have to respond to it anymore. People love going to blogs and they feel like the need to just air 
everyone's problems or their faults or how they do it wrong, and, and they just love hitting sin, and it's like that's their gift to God. And, or in a Bible study, you get to the end of prayer time, and someone wants to bring up a prayer request. Anybody got prayer requests? Yeah. Have you heard about Jim? Have you heard about John? Have you heard about Steve? We really need to pray for them. Well, tell me, tell me, tell me all the details. And we go to prayer in this gossip-laced prayer instead of letting the Holy Spirit intercede and say, we, they, I know someone that God, that they need help. Can we just pray for them? I wish that there was a button on computers that when we wrote gossip or we printed gossip or we blogged or we tweeted or whatever we want to do and, and we hit it, that when we hit the send button, this fist came through the monitor and went. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? I just think that would be, I mean, imagine most people wouldn't show up in public because their face would be black and blue. (laughs) Guilty, guilty, guilty. I wish God had an appropriate response. I wish somehow when, when people were gossiping or just tearing someone down about a choice they had made in public and they were talking to someone about it, that God would drop like this sticky note from heaven and would drop on this person's back without them knowing it. And it would just stick on the back. And they would walk away, and they're in this conversation, just... <laughs> and as they turn and walk away, it says, kick me, I'm an idiot. <laughs> Let me tell you, church, you want to leave a legacy, it really makes a difference. Be careful what you say. We used to sing a chorus when I was little. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down below. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Can I talk a little bit about people and this imagery that's used in Scripture? Those of us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if we're walking with Jesus from our hearts should come things that bear fruit, that bear goodness, that bear the fruit of the Spirit. And if we're connected with God, the words that come from our mouth should reflect that. And Jesus refers to us in Revelation as the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. I want you to think about that for a second, the bride of Christ. By the way, I'm just being totally honest with you. It bothers me a little bit that I'm the bride. I don't like wearing dresses, okay? Just us. I've gotten over it, okay? But when someone says, you're the bride of Christ, it's like this part of man part of me says, man, I want to be the groom. <laughs> but I'm okay with it because, it, because I know what, what, what's attached to that. It's an eternal relationship with an amazing God. And I can get over it if, if he refers to me as the bride because I know where my destination is and I know where my power comes from. And I'm glad that I'm married to, to the groom. But the bride of Christ, have you ever thought about the imagery that's used there? L- let me try to explain about brides. You can talk poorly about me because I'm used to it, by the way. And I say God zap them. You can talk poorly about me. And, you know, and, and I have these shoulders that God has given me to carry that weight. And so, and, and so I can handle that. Most men can on some level. And so we can, we can walk with the unwarranted words that have been thrown at me. If that makes you feel better, let it be. I can handle it, but let me tell you something. You speak poorly about my precious wife, Anne, my bride. You come and you attack Anne Catherine Bortner Brown, and you say stuff about her that's not true. 
and you call her out and I found out about it, I'm coming after you. And why is that? There's not a husband here that loves his wife with the love of Jesus Christ that doesn't feel like I'm feeling right now. And why is that? Because she's our bride. And I'm here to protect her. And I'm here to, to comfort her. And I'm going to stand in, in a bullet's way for my wife. And show, so should any husband here. And so you call her out. You break bad on her. And you say stuff. I will knock on your door. I will find you. Let me ask you something. Do you think the groom, Jesus Christ, doesn't feel the same way about the bride of Christ when people want to bash the bride of Christ? Do you think he doesn't get upset when Christians who are the bride of Christ call out other Christians from other churches and they bash the bride? Do you think God says, oh, that's okay. Go ahead, have some more. Or do you think that groom says, hey, that's my bride. I'm coming after you. You see, we forget that imagery that's used in Scripture. Listen, don't mess with the bride of Christ because my Savior went to the cross and died for that bride. My Savior has a blood-stained robe and he's gonna meet us in heaven and he, he is our God and Savior and he fights for us and he defends for us and you break bad or bash some other Christ follower, you're in trouble. You see, we don't take that in consideration. We say, hey, can you, did you hear about that church over there? Or did you hear about that Christian over there? Did you hear about that? And we love doing that. And God, the groom, hears that? Listen to me. Don't even go there with, with the bride of Christ. We must stop bashing the bride of Jesus. Besides, think about it. We're related for crying out loud. We're going to spend eternity. You're going to walk across the love feast. And there's going to be that person that maybe is your ex, that person who you've hated, that person that somehow came to know Christ. There they are. You're going to spend the rest of eternity drinking 7-Up and eating fish with them. And yet somehow we can't get along on earth. God, I can't get along with them. I just hate their guts and I hate this and I hate that and I hate this. And then when the rapture occurs, guess where you'll probably be seated? Right beside them. Well, I guess I got to now. Words can bring life and rebuild the future. I, I wish I were able to... <coughs> help you realize how powerful your words can be because too many legacies have leaving the landscape filled with fractured hearts and broken friendships and, and children. I see it happen all the time. I just, I see it just, it breaks my heart. There's this innocent child that somehow was, was left in the middle of this break of this relationship. And so the parents divorce and then mom speaks this stuff. Well, this is just your dad. And, and she speaks this stuff about your dad. And then the kid goes with the dad and he speaks this stuff about mom. And there's this innocent child doesn't know what to do. And we use him as this, this pawn in this relationship. And I want to say, stop doing it. And too many legacies are littered with those kind of relationships that we'll never forgive and sibling rivalries that would, we could never get our reunion family together because Bob did something to, to Billy when he was 17 years old. He ate his lunch. He's been mad since. And that lunch would be like 
$7.24, but there's no way he would ever make that up, and he's still mad and angry. And so we schedule these reunions, and we, well, we have to put it over there, and then we walk through the reunion, and we think, oh, I hope they don't show up, and I hope he doesn't show up, because you know when those days show, there's going to be tension, and all the while, there's these fractured friendships and relationships. I see it all the time at funerals and weddings. There seems to be this need for someone to say, I'm, was, I'm right. And because I'm right, you don't belong here. And because I know the truth, you should stay away. And truth be known, boy, all the grace that you've been given because of Jesus Christ would never match up to the amount of grace that you need to give to anyone. In Ephesians 4, verse 29 and 32 says it this way. Turn there with me. As a reminder, Paul touches again on our words And he reminds us this truth. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. Ephesians 4 and verse 29. Paul reminds us in the New Testament. I mean, Jesus said something. Now look what Paul says. Paul says this in Ephesians 4 verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. None. Zilcho. But only what is helpful for building others up. According to their needs. That it may be benefit those who listen. In other words, speak so that someone benefits from your words. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Then he says this, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. In other words, you'll never be able to give enough because think about how Christ forgave us. I want to be remembered as one who set aside differences and was willing to forgive even when I thought they didn't deserve it and even when it hurt me to do it. I want my kids to say, my daddy went to the grave without any regrets in relationships. His past isn't littered with relationships that he didn't try to make better. Words can bring healing to our lives. You don't realize how important these phrases I'm about to speak to you would be for someone close to you. You don't realize saying, I forgive you, how that could breathe life into a relationship that's fractured. Or I love you. Or I am sorry. Or let's start over. Or thank you. Or I believe in you. Or I got your back covered. That would be incredible love for someone that really needs it, probably really, really close to you. Wouldn't it be awesome at your memorial service that someone walked up and they said, you know what? This person forgave me even when I didn't deserve it. And when they went to the grave, they didn't have any regrets in a relationship with me. And I didn't deserve it. And I am eternally grateful. There's so much power in your words. And, 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 and there are. I know there are. And I didn't realize how much power there was in words until an adult. And even when you have children, you begin to realize that there's so much power. Even today, I, I pray with my son. He came for a service and he's heading back to school. I just put my arm on his shoulder and I prayed a prayer of life and blessing over him. And I told him before he left, I said, Josh, I'm so proud of you. And I watched my son's eyes tear up. 
He's 19 years old and he still loves hearing that. But I didn't realize how important words were. I remember living in a blended family. My mom just remarried and and I had a wonderful stepfather that stepped into my life and I was five years old. and, And I remember driving in our Ford LTD station wagons with the wood panels on the side with the seats in the back that faced this way. You remember those days that were like this? And, and, and I remember the fights that I used to have with my sisters because I wanted the one by the window because you could wind it down. And, and, but I remember driving in the station wagon. I can go back and my mom, she understood the importance of words because she got blasted because she was divorced. I, 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 my mom even received letters in the mail from someone that told she's going to hell because she was divorced. And they walked through a lot. I remember seeing my mom crying after getting mail. For crying out loud, she was unsaved and my dad was unsaved. And it's a whole other story. But mom knew that words were important and she wanted us not to be affected by this. And, and she taught us this chant and we would drive in the station wagon, me and my three sisters, and we'd be driving down the road. And my mom taught us this chant and I used to yell it at the top of my lungs as six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11-year-old kid. And it'd go like this, rain, hail, lightning, thunder. The Browns and the Andersons will never go under. Never, never, never. And I remember repeating it and it get louder. Rain, hail, lightning, thunder, the Browns and the Andersons will never go under. Never, never, never. And I didn't realize the importance of that chant and the belief that my mom had in me and us until an adult when I had my kids. She was pouring life into us. And she was saying, no matter if your daddy's got a different name than you do, and no matter if you come from a single parent family at one time, and no matter if there's divorce in your path, Jimmy Brown, you are important and you can do anything. Words breathe life. And even in this passage, Paul is reminding the people here and reminding us, get rid of it. Get rid of bitterness. Get rid of anger. Get rid of the need to be right. Get rid of the need to be a judger. Get rid of the need to always find fault. Get rid of it. If Paul could say it and he's preaching, he's writing this from prison for crying out loud, he would say, stop. And too many today want to manage their unforgiveness because they've been hurt and someone's done something wrong to them and they're just mad and they're angry. Paul's saying, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Church, we could never measure up to that kind of forgiveness. Think about it. Oh, I'll give a little bit tonight and I'll forgive them a little bit here just for a couple hours while they're here. But when, when they leave, I hate their guts. Or I'll forgive a little bit tomorrow, but he might as well forget about it. If he, if he thinks I'm ever going to forget about this, oh, I'll bring it up again. And so we come to these managers of forgiveness and like these seasons. And, 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 and so as husbands and wives, we do it too. It's like, and then we bring it up a little bit. And you thought, didn't we deal with that? Didn't you tell me you forgave me? Yeah, boy, that was then. And we manage this unforgiveness as if we want to control these people. And Jesus says, no, not only do I forgive you, I choose not to remember it anymore. You see, forgiveness is a decision we make when we're not ready to make it. It's also a decision that we make that says the person that wronged us doesn't owe us anymore. You see, those words, I forgive you, can lift the guilt that a person has been carrying for years and years and years, and it sets them free. 
truth be known. Now listen to me regarding forgiveness. When we say, I forgive you, the person we end up setting free is normally us. When we say, I forgive you, we pull ourselves out of a prison and a cage that we hold the key to freedom to get out. No one else can walk and let us out. When we say, I forgive you, we're the ones set free. And truth be known, if you've been a person and you've had someone steal time because they weren't there or a father or mother that wasn't there, or someone stole money from you or stole your innocence or stole your husband or stole your wife. They couldn't give it back. They couldn't repay you anyhow. Why hold a debt they can't pay back anyway? They can't return the time of, of years that's been neglected, nor the money, nor the damage. Just move on with the help of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, the only person you're really hurting is you. And you sit in that prison, but boy, you're good in that prison. And you let everybody know I'm bitter. And you come within me. Oh, yeah, you come close. I'm really good at. And so this is our legacy. And some of us really like it. We go to the grave. This is our legacy. We're really good at telling people that, that they've done this stuff to us. And we're really good at just berating them and belittling them and finding faults and judging. And out of the heart comes this stuff. And we wonder, where did it come from? It came from your heart. And Jesus says in his word in Proverbs eighteen twenty one, words have the power of life and they have the power of death. Words define your legacy. What if, what if we were really known by our words? And there's a lot of great legacies here. And, and by the way, I invite you, when you leave here today, we're asking you to go in our West Foyer. We're asking you to walk down. There's a couple photographers and there's a brown back. And we're asking you to write what you want your legacy to be. Hold a whiteboard, stand in line, each individual person. And you're saying, this is the legacy that I want to leave. We want you to do it. We want you to march down there after the service. And, and then we're going to take these collage of pictures and we're going to pray over this wall that God would allow that to unfold in your life. But truth be known, our legacies are shaped by our words. What if instead of seek to save the lost, this is how you were remembered? Because words really do reveal who we are. What if instead of Joyful, this was how you were remembered. What if instead of a God-fearing man, this is how you were remembered? What if instead of reaching the lost at any cost, This is how you were remembered. What if instead of serving, this is how you were remembered? See, our words shape our legacies. And whether you want to be a person of acceptance and encouragement in God's hands and feet and an instrument for God or a warrior, the real you comes from here. 
God, help us today. I pray, God, that we would be people who leave legacies that impact people and point them to Jesus for generations beyond our death. And Jesus, I pray for this group that's here today. Maybe there was something that surfaced in their life and maybe this message will cause them to call someone up and say, I am sorry. I forgive you. Or maybe it means we just start breathing life and telling someone we believe in them, we love them, we got their back. God, I pray the grace community and the followers of Christ here will become saints that speak and breathe words of life, not death. Help us, God. We love you, God. And we're grateful that you're a God who forgives. You're a God who extends grace. And you're a God who wants us to become more like you. And I pray, God, in the weeks and days ahead that we will begin to shape our legacies with words of life. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week. Make sure you stop by the photo shop and get your picture taken.